My name's Neil. I'm married to the wonderful Kate. It's lovely to see you all again. Welcome back from um, what we hope has been an amazing summer for you. Uh, clearly, um, a number of people are, are, are still enjoying uh, the last throes of uh, summer. We trust that you're all suitably um, relaxed, refreshed, replenished. Yes? That's, no? <laughs> Uh, rejoicing, yes, <laughs> uh, rejoicing in all that the Lord has in store for you individually and uh, all that the Lord has in store for us as a church over the coming year. Come on. Oh, gosh. <laughs> we're we're going to ease back into the term, aren't we? We're just, just going to gently ease. We're just reminding ourselves what um, we do. Well, uh, for some of you, uh, it's probably, it's likely that the biggest decision that you've had to make over the last six weeks is uh, which book should you read uh, next. Um, for some of you, we know, uh, it's been a more difficult time. For some of you, we know you've had a, it's been a more challenging summer, particularly uh, for those of you who've been walking with Linda, Linda Spicer, as she, um, she was here this morning. She's remarkable. Uh, she's gone now. Um, uh, but she was here this morning uh, worshipping her socks off as much as she possibly can. Um, but here, um, you've been walking, you've been here over the summer, and you've been walking with Linda uh, as she comes to the end of her battle um, with cancer. Uh, you'll all know uh, Linda. Uh, Linda's been part of this church for, this church is, what, 29 in a week or so? Um, and uh, Linda's been part of this church for mm, 28 and a half, sort of, years. Um, she's, she's been part of this church uh, f- forever. Um, she's been on the staff team uh, in a gazillion different guises for pretty much all, all of that uh, time. And she's still, uh, on the, she's still on the staff team. She's on the leadership staff team. Uh, and as many of you know, she was diagnosed with an ovarian cancer uh, four years ago. And since then, she's had various treatments of radiotherapy and chemotherapy um, And of course, if you know Linda, even just a tiny little bit, you know, she continues to fight uh, bravely. She has all the way through. She's pressed into the Lord uh, with all her strength and with all her might, and she remains an inspiration and example um, to us all. Uh, We're still praying. We're still praying that the Lord will heal her and will continue to do so until the day she dies. Um, But we're incredibly grateful. It's been incredibly, it's been wonderful. To watch how she has continued to minister so wonderfully and so incredibly to so many people, and it's and it's something that's happened well beyond the progression of this sort of cancer. I mean, she's she's had longer than uh, we might have thought. Uh, but then at the beginning of this year, Linda was she was diagnosed with secondaries, um, and then more recently, it's been acknowledged that um, these are untreatable. And so uh, the decision has been made to move her treatment from sort of active treatment to more uh, palliative care. Um, of course, you know, we believe the Lord is uh, sovereign uh, and the Lord may choose to reverse this process at any point. Um, but the truth of the matter is, and this is kind of family business, so if you're visiting, I'm sorry. Um, but we're family and uh, it's important that we know what's going on and um, the truth of the matter is that, uh, as things stand, Linda is she's preparing herself to go home to be with Jesus. And she's doing it remarkably well. Remarkably well. Um, 
Kate and I spent some time with her yesterday. We celebrated the Lord's Supper together. We prayed uh, for one another. And it's just incredible. Every time we see her, we're, we're profoundly moved. It's, it's incredibly humbling. It's amazing. It's inspiring uh, to spend some time with her. And it's inspiring to see how in spite of everything that she's been through and in spite of everything that she's going through, and she is literally, she's quite literally radiant. She, 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 just, she just exudes the presence of the Lord. Just the sweetness, the fragrance, the aroma of Christ um, is so um, palpable. She's in incredible pain. Uh, she, she knows that she's dying. Um, she's absolutely <laughs> exhausted all of the time. So, you know, if you were just trying to chat to her and she was being whisked away or she could hardly kind of string a sentence, it's because she's exhausted. And the fact that she's made it all the way here, she just wanted to be here with you as a church family. She just wanted to worship here at this church that she loves. I mean, she shouldn't be. She shouldn't be. She should be in bed. She should be resting. But she wants to be here. Um, but she's absolutely exhausted, and yet, at the same time, through all of that pain, through all of that exhaustion, through all of that that she's going through, um, she's full of the joy of the Lord. I don't know how she does it. Um, uh, and she's, she's terribly excited. She is, honestly, terribly excited about all the Lord is doing in and through her. And the Lord is doing remarkable things. She is seeing more miracles at her fingertips, and she's seen more miracles happening over the last few months than she's happened in her whole lifetime. She is loving life at the moment. And she, wouldn't, she said she wouldn't swap it for anything in the world. It's, it's really remarkable. And um, it's her example. It's the way that she's modeling dying so incredibly well to the rest of us um, that has been an inspiration for for us, and it's been an inspiration for us to do this series that we're starting this morning uh, on the book of um, Philippians. Because um, the book of Philippians, it's sort of like Paul's um, manifesto on how to live life full of joy no matter what. It's all about an abundance, an overflowing of joy because of the presence of the Almighty, because of the work of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done in our lives, that we can have this joy, we can rejoice always, no matter what's going on around us, no matter what we're, we're contending with, no matter what life is throwing at us. It's, it's a book full of joy. Joy, when you read the book of uh, Philippians, it's only four chapters long. There's joy. Joy is in every single chapter. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of in between. If not on every line, it's in between every line. It's literally all over the place. Uh, and so um, Paul, he writes in, in, in chapter 1, verse 4, he says, I always pray with joy. Uh, and then in uh, chapter 1, verse 18, he says, because of this, I rejoice. I'll say it again. Uh, I'll continue to rejoice. And then in chapter 2, verse 18, he says, be glad and rejoice with me. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says, rejoice in the Lord. In chapter 4, verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Joy, joy, joy. Chapter after chapter, this is just like joy dripping, oozing out of the pages, jumping off the page at you. This deep, profound sense of joy. And when you look at it and you're reading this book, 
It sort of begs the question. As you look at the life and the, the things that Linda is experiencing right now, it begs the question, how do they do it? How do these people do it? How is it possible? How did Paul manage to live with such a constant state of joy? You know, was he, was he some kind of um, supersonic, super saint? You know, he, and, and, and he was sort of different. You know, he's, well, Paul's different from the rest of us. He's like, he's a proper Christian. You know, I'm only a you know, beginner. So I'm on the first rung. And he was like, you know, off the charts. He was a super Christian. And he had a different faith to the rest of us. And that's not accessible to the rest of us, mere mortals. Uh, you know, maybe that's what it was. Uh, you know, you look at him and it's like, was he in denial? You know, did you just kind of go around saying, my life, you know, I, I'm not having any suffering. I don't have any problems, you know. Um, or maybe it was actually that his life, he didn't have any problems. Maybe, maybe Paul's life was just um, one of those sort of charmed lives. It kind of all went swimmingly, you know. And, um, and so because he sort of floated six inches above the ground, you know, um, being down or depressed or in despair never really occurred to him. You know, why... Why would I get depressed? I, my life is completely problem-free. Well, you know, you read the scriptures. One of the things that we know about Paul was that his life was um, far from easy. It was anything but easy. You know, from the moment he gave his life to Jesus, uh, he lived almost every moment of his life in mortal danger and, and, and physical pain. He, um, he writes in 2 Corinthians 11, he sort of sums up the harsh realities of his life as an apostle. He says it like this. This is in the message version. This is Paul sort of summarizing, sort of, if you like, his life. He says, I've worked much harder. This is uh, 2 Corinthians 11. This is in the message. He says, I've worked much harder, been jailed more often, beaten up more times than I can count, and at death's door time after time. I've been flogged five times with the Jews' 39 lashes, beaten by Roman rods three times, pummeled with rocks once. I've been shipwrecked three times and immersed in the open sea for a night and a day. In hard traveling year in and year out, I have had to ford rivers, fend off robbers, struggle with friends, struggle with foes. I've been at risk at the, in the city, at risk in the country, endangered by desert sun and sea storm, and betrayed by those I thought were my brothers. I've known drudgery and hard labor, many a long and lonely night without sleep, many a missed meal, blasted by the cold, naked, to the weather. Kind of um, puts things into a bit of perspective, doesn't it? We're moaning and grumbling about, well, woe is me. You know, uh, his life, according to church history, uh, came to an end. Uh, the Emperor Nero had him, um, apparently had him beheaded, I think sometime around 67 um, AD. And, and he didn't have an easy time. With it. He didn't have an easy time. He didn't lead a charmed life. And yet... Um, like I was saying uh, about Linda, he was someone who had this like, deep-rooted, um, deep-seated, unshakable sense of profound joy in, in the face of it all. So, um, you know, what's his secret? Like, well, how does he do it? It's a remarkable chap. In spite of all the incredible hardship and all of the suffering that he's experiencing, how is this man, this person, this Paul, how is he able to have this deep sense of joy? How is it that he's able to exhort the church in Philippi? Um, how is he able to say, be glad and rejoice with me when he's going through all of this? Over the next few weeks, uh, uh, just to warn you, probably a good few weeks, um, we're going to be taking a look at the book of Philippians uh, and see what we can find out. 
So uh, dig it out, dig out the book of Philippians and we'll... Uh, what I want to do this morning is give you a bit of a bird's eye view, a bit of an introduction of the whole letter, so that um, my hope is that after this, as you go home and read this letter and reread it during the course of this week, the Holy Spirit uh, might open it up to you. And um, uh, my challenge to us all... Uh, it's only four chapters. Can we all sign up? Okay, I know we're reluctant to sign up. Can we all sign up? Once we've signed up to help out on Alpha, and once we've signed up to be on a small group, and once we've signed up to do all those other things that we need to get on and sign up about, um, could we sign up to reading Philippians at least once a day for this next week? Four chapters, it will take you like 10 minutes. Just, you know, when you get up, Philippians, four chapters, bed, Philippians, four chapters. Let the Spirit of God minister to you. You know, just add it in. That's not instead of your, you know, other Bible reading. Just add it on, okay? It's, it's back to school, guys. You know, it's like um, you put your Harold Robbins down, pick your Philippians up. Um, okay, um, so... Uh, let's, let's do that. So uh, one of the best ways, I think, to get um, an overview, a handle on what this book's all about, um, how it's all been put together, because joy is kind of one of its, its central kind of um, themes. It, I think it's helpful if we start with looking at what are some of our joy stealers? What are some of the things that rob us of our joy? Because Philippians is a book, in, at least in part, about joy. So what is it that, 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 that takes joy, sucks joy um, out of us? Um, and what is it that's going to stop us from um, uh, uh, experiencing that profound sense of joy that Jesus exemplified and embodied, that Paul modeled, that, that people like Linda demonstrate um, to us? Because if we can identify what some of those joy stealers are, these things that sap the joy from us, then we can have a look at the scriptures and find out what it is that we do about them and how the scriptures would have them deal with them. So, um, joy stealers. The first joy stealer, I think, that Paul kind of identifies, and he identifies it in chapter 1, is circumstance. It's circumstances. Um, Byron, Lord Byron, uh, said, men are the sport of circumstances when it seems circumstances are the sport of men. And the truth is, I think, for, for a lot of us, when things are going our way, um, we feel a lot happier, don't we? We feel a lot happier, we're a lot easier uh, to live with, um, but if we've been on this earth more than like 15 minutes, it doesn't take us very long, it shouldn't take us very long to realize that very few circumstances of our life are actually under our control. We like to think that they are, but we realize actually that the reality is that very little is under our control. We have very little, if any, control over the way um, in which life unfolds and the things that come our way, which for those who have a tendency to like to control their environments and the environments of those people around them, you know, that all comes as a bit of a shock, and it causes no uh, small amount of anxiety and stress. If we're becoming a people whose happiness depends on things going right and things going well and ideal living conditions and hassle-free circumstances, it's not going to be long before we're going to actually be miserable quite a lot of the time. None of us have any idea, let alone any ability to control what comes 
our way. And, and yet, as we'll see over these coming weeks, um, here we have Paul in quite the worst of circumstances, quite the worst of situations, and yet he's writing this letter oozing, permeated, soaked in joy. And so chapter 1 is, is, a, is, is about, in part, circumstances. Um, if it's not circumstances, the circumstances of our life that sap us of our joy, um, quite often it can be people. Uh, people, lovely people, well-intentioned people. I can be like, joy sappers. Um, and uh, who they are, what they do, what they say, they may be well-intentioned, but you just like, feel sometimes the joy, the life being sucked out of you. And, and, and lest it sound like we're blaming other people for stealing all of our joy, we must also remember that we too are responsible for sapping the joy, most likely, out of other people. Joy sapping is like a two-way thing. Do you know what I mean? It's, we, we do that sort of together. You know, and you kind of think about that and you say, well, hold on a second, you know, uh, aren't we supposed to be, um, aren't we supposed to, to love people, aren't we supposed to live alongside and work alongside challenging and difficult people, you know, aren't we supposed to be the light of the world, aren't we supposed to be the salt of the earth and all of that kind of stuff? How is it that we um, stop our light from going dim? How is it that we stop our salt from going uh, bitter because of other people? Is there any way for us to get joy and to keep hold of it in spite of what others around us are doing? And chapter 2 gives us some examples of some people um, who can point us in the right direction. It gives us examples of Jesus, examples of Paul, examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus. And we'll come to that. And then the third thing, uh, the third thing that Paul kind of goes on to in chapter 3, um, in terms of joy stealers, is, is things. He starts talking about things. Uh, things steal our joy. They sap the joy um, from us. Things that occupy our hearts and minds. Um, it could be material possessions, or, or it could just be things that are keeping our hearts and minds from Jesus. They can be proper joy stealers, joy sappers. Um, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warns against storing up treasure on earth. He says, don't do it. Take heed, pay attention, don't do it, because it's not worth it. It's not any, of any value. It's not real treasure. It's not going to add to your life. And yet, in spite of Jesus' counsel, more people today genuinely believe, we genuinely think that real and lasting joy comes from the things that we own, the things that we amass, the things that we gather onto ourselves and stuff into our lives. Little realizing that actually all this stuff that we're accumulating, all this stuff that we're filling ourselves with, is actually stealing from us the very joy that we're craving. And in chapter 3, Paul looks at how we develop a mind that focuses not on the earthly, but on the eternal. Uh, it's the stuff that you read about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, when he says, and so we fix our eyes uh, um, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. Where are we fixing our attention? And then we come to the last of um, Paul's joy stealers in chapter 4, and it's about worry. You know, worry is probably one of the biggest of all. How many times have we lost our joy because, uh, lost our peace and fulfillment because of 
worry. You know, and if Paul wanted to worry, he had plenty of cause to do so. Here he is, he's a political prisoner, um, he's under house arrest, he, he's, he's facing uh, probable execution. His friends in Rome are divided about what should happen to him. Some of them were for him, some of them were against him. Uh, he didn't really have anyone supporting him nearby. He didn't have anybody um, representing him, no decent sort of counsel. Uh, all in all, for Paul, things are looking pretty dire when he's writing this letter. Um, and in spite of all of these things that are going on in his life, he, he just doesn't seem worried. He doesn't seem phased. He doesn't seem... He just doesn't seem bothered by it all. Uh, instead, here he is. He's, he's, he's chained to a Roman soldier. Literally, he's in, his, he's in this house. They think it's the house that he rented. He's, in, he's chained to this Roman soldier, and they're on different shifts, right? This Roman soldier chap is next to Paul. And here he is. He's, he's, he's under house arrest awaiting his trial. And, and what he does is he decides, I know, I'll write a letter. My dear friends in the church in Philippi, and it'll be wonderful of joy, and I'll exhort them to be joyful always. And again, I'll say rejoice. Do you see? That's what he's doing. And, and he does that, and he writes to this church in Philippi. And, and effectively, we get, we're receiving, we're recipients of that letter some 2,000 years later, so we can be the benefits. We can be the beneficiaries of his counsel. And in chapter 4, what he does is he, gives some, um, he describes some of the incredible spiritual resources that the believer has in Christ Jesus. So four things that will rob us of our joy. Um, circumstances, uh, people, things, and worry. All of which he outlines in Philippians. And you're going to stumble across those as you read and reread several times a day over the course of the next... Yeah, it's just going to increase as the, as the day goes on. <laughs> We're going to have a competition. Who's read it the most times in one day? Yeah, there'll be a prize. There'll be a chocolate egg, because I'm sure chocolate eggs are in the stores soon. Um, <clears throat> we've not had Christmas yet. Yeah. Missed that. Yeah. We'll have a chocolate Santa. They'll be in the stores soon. Um, how do we grab hold of the things that are stealing our joy such that we can um, uh, keep them from taking away our joy, the joy that is our inheritance and our right as a follower of Jesus. Um, over four chapters in um, Philippians, which, as I say, is going to take us a lot more than four weeks to get through, uh, what Paul does is he describes um, four attitudes of mind, four attitudes of heart, four mindsets, four heart sets, if you like, um, that will produce joy, the fruit of which will be joy in our lives in spite of the circumstances we're facing, uh, no matter what people around us are or aren't doing, whether we've got um, stuff and things coming out of our ears or whether we've got nothing at all. Um, and uh, all of those things will then in turn help keep our, our, our levels of worry in check. Um, and over, over four chapters, what he does is he, amongst other things, but he unpacks things that will... Uh, help uh, fruit, the fruit of joy to be manifest in our lives. And, um, and the first one that he mentions in chapter 1 is, is this thing about a single-minded, being single-minded and single-hearted. Um, in James chapter 1, verse 8, it says, you know, uh, a double-minded man is unstable in all he does. Someone who's double-minded, they're unstable in all that they do. And one of the reasons that many of us get shaken by our circumstances, we get rocked by what's going on around us, is because we've not been cultivating a single mind, a, a single sort of focus. That's what Kate was saying about fixing our eyes on Jesus. And for Paul, 
this single-minded, this single-hearted focus is solely on the person of Jesus. It's solely on Jesus Christ. He puts it another way in, uh, in chapter 1, verse 21. He says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. My, my life is all about Christ. For me to live is Christ. That's what I'm about. That's my focus. That's it. It's really narrow. It's really channeled. It's really single. And um, he goes through, in chapter 1, all of these circumstances that he's going through. He faces them honestly. He's not in denial. But they're not sufficient to rob him of his joy. Because Paul's not living to have good circumstance in his life. His his purpose of his life isn't that it would be easy. It's not about his comfort or his well-being or, you know... His life, he's not living to sort of, you know, for career development or to get a name for himself. And he's living with one single-minded devotion, and his single-minded devotion is to serve Jesus Christ. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He's a man on a mission. He says in chapter three, verse eighteen, "There's one thing I do. There's one thing I do. That's it." There's not always other distractions going on. It's just, psh, Jesus. Uh, and uh, what I love about Paul is he doesn't look at his circumstances and the mess that he's in. He's in a right old mess. He doesn't look at those things um, in and of itself, but he looks at all of those things in relation to Jesus. And so um, for Paul, in his mind and in his heart, he's not a prisoner of Rome. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, I am a prisoner of not Rome, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He kind of flips it all. He, he's, he's, he's literally wearing these chains and he's tied to these chains to this Roman soldier. And he says in chapter 1, um, 13 of Philippians, he says, uh, the, these are my bonds of Christ. That's how he describes his physical chains, bonds of Christ. Um, he's, he, he's, he's not even worried about his trial. Because he says it's going to be an opportunity for the defense of the gospel. I'm set for the defense of the gospel. Paul doesn't try to look through his circumstances and find Jesus somewhere in the ozone. There must, Jesus must be there somewhere through all of this misery. And he doesn't do it that way. What he does is he looks the other way around. He looks at his circumstances from the perspective of Jesus. He looks at his circumstances through Jesus Christ. And it, and it changes everything. It flips it all on its head. And, and, and what he unpacks is, um, uh, is being single-minded. So instead of being focused on our circumstances, instead of being consumed with what's going on with us, we become much more concerned about um, things beyond ourselves. We become much more concerned about things of much greater value and, 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 and impact. And we'll unpack that over the next um, few weeks. And then in chapter 2, he talks about um, having a submissive, a surrendered sort of heart and mind. Uh, and this, is a fo- this chapter is a focus sort of on people and the impact that people can kind of have. And the, the key verse in this is uh, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourself. And in, in, so what he does in the writing of this letter, in chapter 1 he puts Christ first, in chapter 2 he puts other people first, which means you know he puts, he's putting himself last. And, and one of the reasons that people... Um, wind us up so much um, is usually because we're not getting our own way. It's usually because we're not getting our own way. If we do life putting ourselves first 
and everybody else is doing life, putting themselves first, there's going to be quite a lot, a few humdingers of kind of confrontation happening all over the place. But if we follow this example of Paul, if we follow what he's written here in in Philippians chapter 2, and we cultivate the submissive mind and the submissive heart, um, we don't expect other people to serve us. Quite, quite the opposite. All we expect to do, all we live for is to, serve, is to serve others. Because we are following the example of Jesus. And so we put the good of others over and above um, the plans and desires of our own hearts. And so in chapter 2 we find all these examples of wonderful people who have modeled this submissive mind, this submissive heart. And the first obviously is Jesus and then um, we see an example from the life of Paul and then uh, he talks about Timothy and he talks about Epaphroditus. Um, and then uh, he goes on in chapter 3 and he's talking about um, developing a spiritual mind, a spiritual heart. Um, and 11 times in this chapter he's talking about the word things comes up. Um, in verse 19 he, 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 he's saying that most people have their minds and their hearts set on earthly things. And he's saying, um, don't do like that. Don't live like that. You're not, you're not of this earth anymore. You're aliens and strangers. You're passing through. Set your hearts and your minds on things above. He says in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we reside. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, because the person with the spiritual mind, with the spiritual heart, we, we look at the things of the world from a different perspective. And it makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. And it can't, uh, our joy can't be stolen. It can't be robbed from us because of it. Um, the quest for things, the desire, the yearning for things, it is robbing people. And that includes us of the joy that's rightfully as as sons and daughters of the living God. And, and what happens is we want to possess things. Um, and we, 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 we get them, and we, we stuff them into our lives. And then somewhere down the track, we realize that the thing that we wanted to possess now possesses us. And by the time we realize that it now possesses us, and we no longer possess it, we can't get rid of it for love no money. The thing that we desperately wanted, we now want to get desperately get rid of, and we haven't got a clue how we do it. And in the process, it sapped us slowly but surely of our joy. But there's hope because of Christ and because of what he's done in the kingdom, and we can be set free from all that stuff. All those things that will bind us, we can be set free from. And the only way to have victory, the only way to have real joy is to have the spiritual mind, the spiritual heart that Paul talks about in chapter 3. And to make sure that we're looking at things from God's perspective and God's point of view. And he comes up with a few metaphors because he always does. You know, he comes up with a sort of metaphor of like an accountant. We need to be, we need to be counting. I count, 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 count what's going on. Look at the value of things. Have a proper sense of the value. He talks about the metaphor of an athlete. In chapter 3, he's saying, you know, um, uh, train hard. I press on. I press on towards the goal. He's saying, you know, have that discipline. Have that mindset of an Olympic athlete. Uh, he, he talks about um, being foreigners and strangers. You're foreigners and strangers. You're just passing through your view, your vision, your destination, your home, your residence. 
everything, your proper home, your true home, is elsewhere. This is all temporary. This is why we can face life-threatening diseases that want to rob us of our life on earth, like Linda, and not be afraid. We can laugh in the face of death and say, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? I just want to go home to be with Jesus. That's my real home. This is a temporary accommodation. Why would I want to stay here? For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Linda knows that. Finally, chapter 4 is about a secure mind. Worry is doing a lot of us a lot of damage. Uh, and worry, really, at its core, is it's about wrong thinking in our minds. It's about wrong feelings in our hearts. And um, worry is wrong thinking and wrong feeling about, mostly about the circumstances that we're experiencing. Um, it's usually catalyzed by um, the people that we're living around and living with because they're rubbing us up the wrong way. Um, and uh, worry usually comes as a result of the things that we either don't have or the things that we do have. The things that we don't have that we want, the things that we do have that we don't want anymore. And so we worry about all these things, you see? Um, and the key here uh, is the preceding three chapters. Because um, if we have this single mind and this single heart, if we have this submissive mind, this submissive, surrendered heart, if we have this spiritual mind, this spiritual heart, we're far less likely to ever get or find ourselves in a place where we're worrying about anything. Worry just kind of disappears, it just evaporates. We will, however, as he says in this chapter, we will, however, need something to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus so that worry doesn't kind of find its way or worm its way back in. And what he does is in chapter 4, verse 7, he says, he says this, he says, and it's the peace of God, it's the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, that will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So you're not worried. You don't be anxious for anything. Um, and what happens in chapter 4 is, is, is Paul describes some of the spiritual resources that we have in Christ Jesus. And so he writes, firstly, about God's peace. He writes about God's power. He writes about God's provision. And when we start to read and understand and allow the Spirit of God as we read this book several hundred times a day over the course of the next week, we will discover that God, the, the, the Spirit of God somehow, sovereignly and miraculously, the kingdom is at work, and, and God's peace starts to take root in our hearts, and, and, and God's power starts to come to us, and God's provision starts to come to us. And so we suddenly discover, and we don't know quite how it happened, that we're not worried as much as we were before. And then alongside the peace of God which guards us, and the God of peace who guides us in verse 9, um, and the practice that we develop of praying in every situation, which he talks about in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 4. Um, cultivating the right thinking, again uh, in verse 8. Uh, cultivating um, the right attitude to, to the right living in, in, in verse 9. Uh, we begin to come to grips with God's secret. It suddenly starts to unfold, this worry-free and anxious-free living. So a whistle-stop tour of... Um, Philippians, we'll start digging into it next week, um, by which time you will all be Philippians experts and I can abandon the series because um, you'll know more about it than I ever possibly could because you'll have read it so many times. Um, hopefully there's enough there to whet our appetites and um, convince us that it is possible 
not only possible, it's God's intention that as followers of Jesus, that in spite of the circumstances that face us, in spite of whatever people around us are doing or not doing, um, in spite of uh, things that get in the way, or the lack of things that gets in the way, um, as we put this short little book of the Bible into practice, um, the worry and the anxiety um, stops getting through. Uh, just quickly to end with, um, how, how to put some of this stuff into practice this week. So, uh, just, I'm going to load you up with some more homework because it's, it is back to school and you, knew, you all have pencil cases and rulers and all those protractors and things that you bought from Smith that you never actually used. Um, first thing, um, can we, apart from reading Philippians 25,000 times a day, um, can we get into the habit, if we're not already in the habit, of surrendering our hearts and minds to Christ daily. Just wake up in the morning and go, Lord Jesus, I surrender my heart and my mind to you. That's how I go. It's okay. It's okay. I'm not, I, the, I will set the bar really low. Okay. You know, as you just get out of bed, put your feet on the, on the ground, you know, put your feet on the ground as you enter your new day and just say, Lord, I surrender my heart and mind to you. I surrender my heart and mind to Christ Jesus for this day. Um, let's ask the Lord, the Spirit of the living God, will you develop in me? Will you cultivate in me? Will you grow in me um, a, a single-mindedness, a, a single-heartedness? Will you grow in me? Will you develop in me? Will you cultivate in me a, a submissive, surrendered heart, a surrendered, submissive mind? Will you grow in me this, just this day, a spiritual mind and a secure mind? Just Let's ask the Lord. Um, and then as we go through our days, when we find ourselves losing our joy, okay, it's a little bit of a project, beginning of time. Um, when you go through your day and you find yourself losing your joy, and then suddenly you become grumpy, or the person that you live with says, you are properly grumpy. Do you see? Because we may not recognize it ourselves to start with. Um, just to try and get into the habit of taking a pause and sort of doing a bit of a health check. It's like, stop, interrupt, pulse, blood pressure, you know, temperature. What's, what's happened? Yeah. What's happened? I haven't been, haven't been here for six weeks. I mean, I've, been, I've had other things. Going on. I've been, you know. Um, what, what, what happened? What happened just before that? I kind of felt all the joy just sort of disappear. I felt like a deflated balloon. What happened? What was it that burst that sense of, you know, that, that, that sense of being inflated with joy? You know, um, am I being double-minded? Have I switched my focus off Jesus? Is that what it was? Uh, is it that I'm, my, my attitude towards other people around me is off, is off kilter, is out of kilter, is, is off line? Uh, am I, have I suddenly have I been, am I grasping for things or am I bemoaning about the fact that I don't have any things? Am I worrying about something? What's the catalyst for the joy being sapped? See if we can identify that. Once we've identified that, let's bring it to the cross of Christ lay it at the foot of the cross and surrender it to Jesus and ask Jesus to transform us by the renewing of our minds. Um, let's, so that's the first, the, first, the first thing. The second thing is, let's look for opportunities over the course of this week to put our hearts and our minds to work. If we're really after this kind of shift in our attitudes, our heart and mind attitudes, you can bet your bottom dollar that the Lord will allow circumstances to come our way that will give us an opportunity to practice how well we're doing. 
Okay, so um, there is more than a, a good chance if we engage with the scriptures seriously that God will allow circumstances into our daily life that will give us opportunity to, to flex these new muscles and test them out. Learning and living go hand in hand together. So uh, st- start looking for opportunities to stretch uh, some of those muscles. And um, as we practice exercising these right kind of attitudes, the scriptures um, are encouraging us to and exhorting us to, what we'll find is we'll find this, this deep well of joy starts to spring up in our, li- in our lives. The circumstances may not change. Things might get worse. But there's this joy. I don't know where it comes from. It's just bubbling up. Fascinating. Or, you know, um, the people around me. Good God, it's so complicated. There's such pains. They're so challenging. They're so difficult. And yet, I, I, they don't seem to bother me in quite the way that they, they used to. Or, you know, I, I am so... I have so much, or I have so little. Do you know what? It doesn't matter. I just have this constant sense of joy. And then finally, this joy that sort of is this antidote. It just defeats, it beats, it combats the worry that can so easily come our way and fills us with this, um, this peace of God. So over the course of this term, no matter what's going on around us, let's, um, let's press into the Lord. It's going to be a challenging term for us as a church. Do you know what I mean? What's going on within it? This is not easy. It's not easy stuff. And, um, uh, but no matter what's going on, let's, as a church, let's, as individuals, make a decision that we're going to press in to the joy of the Lord. And let's do that by looking at this very short letter to the book of Philippians, um, which you will thoroughly enjoy reading many, 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 many times. I'm sorry, why don't you stand? <laughs>